Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to That's Hockey Talk. we got a good one for you today. We interviewed NHL Network analyst and former NHLer Mike Johnson. Uh, we got that in the back half of the episode. Looking forward to it. Joining me, as always, AQ Shipley down in Miami for the Super Bowl. You look good, buddy. You look like you got a little tan going. How is it down there? Got a little, got a little tan, got a little head shave. I just go from sun to sun. I mean, that's, that's the only places I, I go to these days. Must be nice, man. It's freezing up here. But uh, anyways, let's get into it. The NHL All-Star Game and Skills Competition were just over the weekend. Uh, did you get a chance to watch any of it? Yeah, so I loved it. I, I love everything about it. I think it's the only sport that gets it right in terms of skills competition because you're actually showing the skills of the guys. You're sh- people want to see how fast the guys are. People want to see how accurate. Obviously, everyone wants to see how fast guys shoot the puck. Uh, when you when you look at other sports, for instance, the NFL Pro Bowl weekend was the same weekend, and you're watching people play dodgeball. Like it, it blows my mind watching other sports and how they just don't get it right when it comes to skills competitions. But the NHL, I believe, fully gets it right, and I love watching that. It's one of my favorite parts of All Star Weekend every year. Really, I'm surprised you didn't like the NA, the NFL trying to do something a little bit different and keep it lighthearted with the dodgeball. You you really didn't like that. I did not like it one bit. I liked the old school when you had the quarterbacks try and throw it as far as you could. You could see yeah. how strong their arms were. I loved when you used to watch Warren Sapp do the 225 or 275 bench press, him against Tony Saragusa and whoever else. Um, you know, I used to love watching that stuff, and they've taken all that out. And I, I mean, obviously, you got the, the relay races, and you get to see how athletic, you know, a lot of these guys are, which is fantastic, which is great. But I like watching what we do on a daily basis, which is train and lift weights and do all that stuff for the O-line, D-line, and then also watching the quarterbacks compete and throwing the ball as far as they can. I used to love that stuff, and they don't do that anymore. True, and the uh, the skills competition was cool. It's all it's good every year. It's it's more watchable to me than the All Star game. I don't care about the All Star game at all. Uh, I think it's tailored towards children, and that's fine. You know, they need something to be entertained by and and watch. And the NHL makes a ton of money off of it. But the one thing I did notice I didn't like at the skills competition was the accuracy shooting. They changed it from actual physical targets to that video screen, which broke after like the second shooter, and they had to come out and get the IT guy. And it just I had flashbacks to my old gig with all those people watching. And it was like the high pressure situation trying to figure out what's wrong and i'm like what what was so wrong with a couple plates and foam targets out there like i loved watching those things explode too couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more with you there i mean i that was the one thing that i didn't like either they they, you know they obviously tried to put too much technology on it and you know you get the cracked class which obviously makes it look even worse you know i think on the second shooter but yeah i used to love watching that too and watching the things break you know putting them back up and yeah you're right i mean that that was the one thing that i didn't that i didn't enjoy watching yeah, it just looked amateur hour, but that's, that's fine. Another thing uh, that we should talk about that's making rounds in the hockey world is the return of the Mighty Ducks coming back to Disney+. And it's not just coming back. It's, it's a reboot, but they're bringing back Emilio Estevez, Gordon Bombay himself. Ty, I know you're on the ones and twos. I know you're fired up for this, for him to come back into that coach's seat and take over the Ducks once again. Yeah, I mean, Bombay is one of the greatest film characters of all time uh, happy to see Emilio you know hasn't completely sworn away the franchise I mean it's obviously going to be a lot different but I feel like you get him back I mean it's going to it's going to pack a lot of nostalgia for people like us who love it I mean I'm with you I mean I I grew up on the Mighty Ducks Mighty Ducks D2 eh, D3 eh. but the original Mighty Ducks that's what I loved I loved watching the old Hawks play Nothing beats the original. And Matthew Kachuk scored with a knuckle puck the other night, which looked hilarious because it came off his stick a little funny. I don't think he actually meant to, but the way it fluttered, I mean, it was true to movie fashion. It was true to, uh, you know, classic Keenan Thompson there. The goalie's a shooter. He smoked him. 
It was awesome to see. Uh, something that's not awesome to see, though, and in that same vein of the Mighty Ducks, uh, Sean Weiss, the actor who plays Goldberg, was arrested again over the weekend for uh, burglary charges, and it looks like he was high on meth. He is not in a good spot. The, the mugshot has been put out there, and, man, it's tough to see because he was such a lovable character in those movies, and he was such a, a, a good actor in that role. He was perfect for it. You know, a fun-loving guy. A little bit portly, but you know he, he was the he was the butt of the jokes. But he could take it. He was like Zeet, uh, sometimes like you. I'd imagine AQ, you know. But uh, tough. I'm I'm pulling for Sean. I'm hoping for the best for this guy. I think we all are. I mean, that Goldberg is is an iconic character in in any sports movie, in any movie really. I mean, if you grew up, you know, in the '90s, early 2000s, and you've seen these movies, he's he's an icon. He really is. And so to see him in such bad shape is obviously such a shame. I mean, there's um you would hope some of these some of his fellow actors from time over would you know hopefully reach out and help this guy out i don't know it's not looking good for the the original cast uh you'll see smollett was in his yeah <laughs> yeah fucking cake eater had his incident and uh yeah. sean now uh boy i don't know i'm pulling for charlie conway keep your nose clean kid come uh, on banksy step up <laughs> <laughs> all right big announcement before we get to the interview uh we got a sponsor hey we got a freaking sponsor Huge. So uh, let's get into it here. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to introduce you to Sheath Underwear. It's amazing how many entrepreneurs are popping up all over the internet now. And we have a new one sponsoring our show, a veteran-owned company called Sheath Underwear. That's S-H-E-A-T-H. Now, this is underwear uniquely effective at keeping your balls off your legs. Now, AQ, you know what I'm talking about. Training camp comes around, gets hot, gets sticky. You're going to want these. Chafing is no good. I need these. Oh, boy. Talc them up. you got to powder it up. It does this by the way of a kangaroo pouch inside the underwear to isolate your little Joey package. This pouch inside the underwear, it's a whole new ball game. They're unbelievably comfortable and, and best part, invented by a soldier while serving overseas in Iraq, where you can imagine balls tend to get pretty hot. He developed the prototype in Iraq and did a Kickstarter to see if people would be interested, and they were, and now they're sponsoring our show, the best damn show in, on the internet talking about hockey. Please support our sponsor because the sponsors keep this show going, and you're not only supporting us, but Chief will support you and your package. It'll feel like your balls are floating on clouds. These underwear have changed my life and customers' head. True story. Go see the reviews. These underwear are amazing, and if you don't love them, they have a 100% money-back guarantee off your first pair. Now, not only do they guarantee comfort with this offer, we personally guarantee you'll love them because we love sheath underwear, and if you don't, they'll give you your money back. You'll feel like a superhero when you put these on. Your girl or guy will appreciate the way you look at them. Ladies. We didn't forget about you. They have a women's line that gets five-star ratings as well, and all their products are available on Amazon Prime or at sheathunderwear.com. Seek it, and ye shall find it. I'm talking about comfort. You are welcome for this introduction to the most comfortable underwear on the planet with a genius ergonomic design for the male anatomy and the female anatomy. Thank us later in the comments. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code hockey saves 20% on your first order. That's promo code hockey at S-E-H. I'm sorry, at S-H-E-A-T-H underwear.com. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now on the phone, a man from Ontario who played college hockey at Bowling Green here in the States, who then went on to play over 600 games in the league with the Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, Phoenix Coyotes, Montreal Canadiens, St. Louis Blues, who then transitioned to a color commentator and analyst for TSN, and in my opinion, the best analyst on the NHL network. And I'm not saying that to be nice because I'm not that nice of a guy. I mean it. I genuinely think he is the best analyst on the NHL network, Mike Johnson. Mike, how you doing today? 
I am doing well. I'm doing great after that introduction. Uh, that's <laughs> very kind of you. Although I'm gonna have to re-rack, see what you said to some of your previous guests to check out the authenticity. But for now, I'll take it. <laughs> no, no, I mean it, man. I watch the NHL Network every night before I go to sleep, and every time I see you on there, I always turn it up a little bit because you offer great insight. You've been around the league. You've played with a ton of different teams. Your experience, uh, and and you present it in a way that's easily digestible for a lot of people, especially uh, a lot of people who listen to this show in particular are, are kind of new new fans to the sport of hockey, or they're not super in depth. So I always appreciate a guy like you who can explain it and break it down in terms for people who have not been with the game for you know twenty plus years or didn't grow up with it. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to entertain. We're trying to educate a little bit. And, um, you know, hockey is tricky to understand what happens out there because it's not like it's not like football. It's not like basketball. It's not like baseball. It's not very static. It doesn't start kind of from the same mechanisms all the time. There's so many things going on all the time. So trying to uh, explain what's going on and why it's going on is, is generally what we try to do. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Right, I mean, well said. Uh, let's get into it. I mentioned this that uh, all the teams that you played for, you were you were traded from your hometown team, the uh, Maple Leafs, uh, and at the time you were traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were not very good. I assume you weren't mm-hmm. too thrilled with that. But I got to ask, with the trade deadline coming up, can you give us an idea what that's like for a player, and, and how long does it take you to get over something like that? How are you able to play and compartmentalize that? Um, so this is a tricky time of year for. Almost all the players around the league. I say almost because there are some that are so comfortably entrenched where they are, whether they have a contract that dictates they can't get traded, or whether they're so important that you kind of know they won't get traded, that they can kind of go along in glorious oblivion of you know not having to worry about getting dealt. But for 90% of the league, that's not the case. And it's the reality that if you're on a crappy team, you might be excited about the prospect of getting dealt to a better team. If you're on a good team, you might be worried about either getting traded away from that team or also even if you stay on that team, they might acquire a player to replace you in your role and you'll get bumped down the lineup a little bit, which could have an impact on you, your career, your finances, and all those things. And it's really, really tough. I always found it was one of the things that I you know, had the greatest challenge dealing with as a professional player, was the fact that your future is not in your hands. And most careers, no matter what you're chosen to do, it's not very likely that they can call you on a Tuesday afternoon and say, okay, now you have to move across the country. you got to go to New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. No questions asked. You can't, you know, if you want to keep continuing what you're doing, that's where you got to go. you got to go to Vancouver. And it, it was really tough, and you're right. That first trade going from Toronto, where we had made the semifinals the year previous, I was from Toronto. Uh, we had a great team. I was, you know, very comfortable there. It was the only team I'd ever played for. And when I got traded down to Tampa, um, yeah, it was it was sad. I was angry. I was frustrated. Um, and I was hurt that you know Toronto didn't want me that way. And it, it, you don't see it as, oh, the new team wants me, and what new opportunity may I get somewhere else that I might not have in my my previous spot? It mostly just comes with, man, somebody doesn't want me. You know, it's kind of like that sense of being rejected. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say, you know, I turned the page and, you know, I focused on the opportunity, but it probably took, you know, a few weeks at least, if not the rest of that year, which was, you know, six weeks before I kind of went through the whole summer and, you know, accepted where it was going on. The Leafs didn't win the Cup, which I was kind of mixed about because that would have been painful to be back in my hometown in Toronto and, and watching my former team in the city celebrate a, a cup win that I felt was kind of close when I got dealt away. But it takes a while. And 
And I found what happened after the first trade is that the romantic innocence that you have about playing professional sports is gone. Wow. And it never comes back. And, you know, the idea that, you know, I care about the team, I care about the city as a player, and that they in turn care back about me, which is a nice way to feel about where you work. Uh, even if it's a professional sport, that, that's gone once you're dealt away, like, you know, the asset that you are. And that never really comes back because your eyes are opened up to it and you're just part of the reality of your job. Yeah, you brought up a really interesting aspect in there, too. That's something I've, I've honestly never thought about is as fans, we always see uh, guys on the move and we get excited when our team acquires somebody. But you never think about the guys who are already on the team who may be losing a spot uh, to someone else coming in. Have you seen that affect anyone in a, in a serious fashion or just have you seen guys have to deal with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw it firsthand. I remember I was playing in Arizona, and I was you know, coming off uh, a really good year, or maybe the year where I led the team in scoring, and they went out and signed Tony Amante, <laughs> who was you know a better player than me uh, prior to that in his career, although at that point we were kind of close to each other. And I kept thinking, the hell, man? You got a right winger. I'm right here. Like, what are you doing spending $6 million on that guy? Not that Tony's not great, not that I'm not happy he gets the contract, not that he turned, didn't turn out to be a great teammate. It's like, I don't want to have to compete with this guy for power play time because he's <laughs> Tony Amante, and he's going to get it to start the year before I do. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I got pushed down a little bit. I had to kind of reprove myself and earn that ice time back, and he eventually got traded out of Arizona before I did. But I remember the, the, the excitement that, you know, front-page news in the Arizona papers, all over, you know, the Internet – Tony Monty coming to the desert, big news, great player, great American international star, exciting times. And I'm like, no, it's not exciting <laughs> at all. Um, why don't we get a centerman? Where's that defenseman that can move the puck? Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you feel mixed. You feel good about your team getting better because, you know, you're a competitor and you want to be better. And you don't even mind competing for spots. But in a sport like football or like hockey where dollars are – scarce and they need to be allocated you know appropriately because there's only so much to um, yeah you, you're not always thrilled when new players come to your team even if they are good right and I suspect a move like that with that franchise at that time who was relatively new to the league was probably about name recognition and selling some tickets to get some known players in there uh, you know they went through the phase there where they, they had Roenick and, and bringing Brett Hall and in one of the guys mm-hmm. I saw an interesting story I was hoping you would share was uh, they had Keith Kachuk there who just had this big presence at All-Star Weekend with the Blues and his two sons playing obviously uh, you had an interesting run in when you first met Keith Kachuk in Arizona <laughs> I did. I did. Now, I got traded to Arizona in, what, 2001? So I was 26 years old. So I was, you know, three, four years in my career, really quite established as, you know, who I was as a player and a person sure. and not a superstar, but, like, I was okay. So I walk in the Arizona dressing room, and Big Walt, he walks in, and I walk into the game that night. I hadn't met anyone at practice, and he's walking around. He's wearing the robe, right? He wore a robe around the dressing room all the time. Most guys wear gym shorts and a T-shirt or flip-flops and shorts and whatever. He wore a robe. That was his comfortable look. And Classic. it said Big Walt on it. It was, <laughs> it was monogrammed as Big Walt. I'm like, all right. I mean, that's pretty great. I knew his nickname was Walt, but okay. So he says, hey, hey kid, welcome to the team. With a, with a kind of like devilish grin on his face. And I'm like, hey, thanks, man. Uh, and he's like, listen, there's only two things you need to worry about on this team. And here they are. Rule one, always pass the puck to number seven. 
Steve Waltz, of course, being number seven. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I think he's kidding, but I'm not quite sure. And he said, second rule, don't you ever fucking forget the first one. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, Walt. And he's like, it's Big Walt. And then he walked away <laughs> and left me just chewing on that for a few minutes, just wondering, um, is he for real? Is, that, is, that, is he kidding? And I came to learn that I think he did that speech for just about everyone who got there, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. But I think there was also uh, letting you know that, you know, he wants to score, he wants to fuck the score, and if you can help him do that, then, then that would be a good thing. Um, yeah, so yeah, Big Walt and I played together in Arizona. That was my introduction with him. We played together in St. Louis at the end of my career. Um, I got to know his family, his kids. A great man, hockey dad, all the rest of it. But at the time, I'm thinking, what? Is he talking about calling me kid because I'm mid twenties? And <laughs> is he for sure? Is he for real telling me I got to pass him the puck? Like you know, we're fourteen again. I got to give the star player. So uh, yeah, interesting introduction to a to, to a pretty good player. Uh, the guy's a legend. You can't really blame him. I mean, he's, he's no. going to let you know. It's his locker room, man. You're coming in there. He's going to let you know how it is. Listen, you wear a robe that's monogrammed with your nickname. You got to own that shit. <laughs> Gumpy, you got a question for Mike? Hey, Mike. Uh, playing with a lot of teams and a lot of different players, I'm just wondering throughout your career, who was somebody who maybe was underrated or maybe didn't get the respect they deserved who you played with? Hmm. Uh, good question. Um, you're right. I did play with quite a few different players around. Um, like I remember, you know, he turned down to be a hall of fame player. So it's hard to say he didn't get the respect, but I was in Tampa when Marty St. Louis arrived yeah. from Calgary. He was, I think the lowest paid player in the league. He was making like two twenty Canadian back when the dollar was about a dollar 50. So, I mean, he was, he was barely an NHLer. And I remember about three weeks after he got there and he was barely playing in and out of lineup. And and we were out for dinner and, and with some of the guys, and I don't think he was even there. And, and we just kind of were going around the table, and everyone one could acknowledge, like, holy Jesus, Marty Good. Like, we couldn't understand how he'd not made it earlier, how he'd not had more success. What I get he's five foot six, but it didn't matter when you watched him every day. Um, so he would be a guy that uh, it took a while for him to establish himself, but not for the guys that happened to be on the ice with him in Tampa where we all kind of could recognize right away, this guy is scary good. Um, if he just gets a chance, if he gets an opportunity, he probably becomes something um, more than we've seen already. And, and fortunately for him and for Tampa that he, he got that chance. So he kind of stands out for me. And, and the other guy that uh, I would say would be our goaltender for a few years in Arizona was Sean Burke. Oh, yeah, he was a stud. And, Oh, but but was he thought to be a stud around the league? I'm not sure if he was. Like, no. he, like maybe because I grew up in Toronto, I didn't see Hartford play very much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember Sean Burke from the Devils. I don't know. But I know for those couple of years, he was as good as any goalie not named Dominic Hoshik in the NHL. He was awesome. And I always joke that Roberto Luongo attempted to wear the captain C one time in Vancouver. Yeah. And it, I don't know how that went with him. It didn't seem logistically very practical. For a couple of years there, when Teppo Newman left Phoenix, Sean Burke was our effective captain, despite Shane Doan wearing the seat. Burke, ran the room. He ran the bench. He was our best player. He was, he was the guy to me that in those years, even though I think he might have made an all-star game or two, it still felt he was underrated because to me, he was one of the best goalies in the league and wasn't looked at in that regard. Was that weird for you at all, having a goalie like kind of command that kind of respect and be the guy in the room? It was weird not... 
that he'd have that respect. I mean, I'd come from Toronto where Cujo was in Toronto, and he had that kind of respect. But Sean, it was strange because goaltenders generally, you know, stick to themselves. They're on their own routine. They're their own little island with their quirks and their preparation and the whatever they need to do their job. And they're not as engaged in the day-to-day rhythm of the room, whether it's pranks, whether it's music, whether it's team meetings, whatever it might be, because of the nature of, I guess, their job. And that was strange. That We would have a team meeting, and it would be Berkey to get up, and whether it was a passionate, we got to get better speech, whether it was going around the room and calling out a really good player to his face and saying, you've got to be better than this for us to be successful, and this is why you're important, this is what we need. I'd never seen that before from a goalie at any level whether through college, into the pros, whatever. So it was weird. But because he had so much respect from everyone for the player that he was and and the the kind of leader that he was in the room, it felt normal pretty quickly. But I'd never seen anything like it uh, from a goaltender at any point prior to that or post in my career. Uh, Mike, let's let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about what's going on in the league now. Like I mentioned, you're a net NHL Network analyst, one of the best to do it. Uh, who's a player that you see uh, again along the same lines, kind of under the radar, that could have an impact down the stretch here towards the run, towards the playoffs, whether it be like a, a college free agent or uh, somebody coming up from coming back from injury? Is there a guy that sticks out to you that could really help a team out? Hmm. Uh, well, college free agents are tricky. I was one of those once, so you're yeah. never quite sure how it's going to go into the NHL. It could be Kale McCarr, not a free agent, but a signing that was great. It could be a whole bunch every year show up. And, you know, even Jimmy Vesey, who was highly sought after a couple years ago, he's turned into an NHL player, but hardly an impact guy. So uh, those, are hard to, those are hard to forecast. As far as players that could jump in, I mean, what is St. Louis defending champs? Already one of the best teams in the league. What do they need maybe to be put them over the top? an insertion of maybe instant offense of a high-skill guy. Of course, you can't find those guys. They're not available. You can't afford them. Except they have Vladimir Tarasenko sitting on the side. We forget that Vladimir Tarasenko <laughs> yeah, plays for St. Thought. Louis. And he's coming back with maybe a week or two left in the season. Apparently, he's just started going back onto the ice uh, while recovering from a torn labrum shoulder surgery. And so to think that they could be this good without him, and then they're going to add a guy who knows the system, knows the locker room, will have been around, but has that kind of skill, of assuming that he's able to jump back in the lineup and, and be something close to what he always is. That, to me, might be the biggest trade deadline acquisition there is. And he already plays on the team. So uh, I would watch out for what kind of impact he might have um, coming back to his team uh, if he's able to get healthy. Well said. Uh, it is a guy that you forget about because you, you get so infatuated with how well St. Louis has done without him, and you kind of forget. Oh God, here's this 90 point score, you know, 30, 40 goal guy just waiting to come back into the lineup. Uh, along the lines of the trade deadline, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Do you have any predictions for uh, where some guys are going to go uh, coming up here? Okay. Um, yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, you think of the most popular trade at targets. Um, I think Chris Kreider, uh, name pops up right away. Yeah. I would not be surprised if he goes to the Boston Bruins. Um, you know, went to college in the Boston area. Straight line, hard-nosed guy. Boston had great success with both Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson last year, mm-hmm. leading them, helping to get them all the way to the finals. I think they probably would like one more top-six winger, which Chris Kreider can be in a rental. They know their window's closing. Bergeron's getting older. Chara's getting older. Tugarask is getting older if he gets healthy. I think Chris Kreider to Boston maybe makes a lot of sense. 
Um, J.G. Pajot is a kind of a second or first line center in Ottawa, but on a good team, he's probably a third line center. He's already got 20 goals in the season in Ottawa. I wonder if Pittsburgh, who have had a great year despite all their injuries, we could love to slot him in underneath Crosby and Malkin. Don't know what's going to happen with Nick Bukestad and his injury. Jared McCann, who can play center, I think he's going to play on the wing most of the time because some of their other injuries. Would not stun me to see Pajot maybe slide into Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh take a look at J.G. Pajot because he feels a need for them. And he also, the other spot for Pajot might be out in Edmonton. Now, I know they need scoring from the wing, but if they want to play dry settle on the wing, especially if they play him on the second line with Nugent Hopkins, then they probably want a little bit more stability down the roster. And Pajot, who makes just over $3 million, might be a rare contract they did, that they could actually absorb. So maybe look to him out in, uh, out in Edmonton or Pittsburgh, I think are two places that make a lot of sense for, for him as a player. Um, those are kind of two prominent forwards that stand out to me uh, that, that probably will change teams. And, uh, and the other one is Tyler Toffoli. Oh, yeah. Now, we'll get lost on him because he plays in L.A. and nobody stays up late enough to watch all their games <laughs> unless you love hockey. Um, and he's not having a great year, nor are the Kings. But this guy is a good player. He's produced in the playoffs. He'll get you kind of 20 goals on a good team. Um, almost in his sleep, he can score up to 30. And a whole bunch of teams need scoring from the wing at offense. Pittsburgh being another one if they want to go a different route. Edmonton and Calgary, top six guys if they're trying to augment to try to perhaps push them over the top. They might be, and maybe even... Maybe even Vegas, who are trying to make sure that they get into the playoffs uh, if they want to change their, their forecourt. Watch for Tyler Toffoli, though. Maybe stay in the Western Conference, but as a goal-scoring winger, I think he'll trade teams. He'll get traded, and there'll be a hot market for him. Tell you what, Mike, I love what you said right there because I am from Pittsburgh. I'm a diehard Penguins fan, and I would be uh, plenty pleased to have any one of those three guys on the team. Those are the three guys I've been looking and hoping GMJR adds to the roster this year. I uh, love their game. Gumpy, you got another question, Mike? Yeah, Mike, just to jump back to your career, um, somebody you played with who maybe not the best player, but someone who made you better, who you played on a line with. Okay, well, that's, a, that's a great question, and there's two of them I'll give you. Okay, first one, Derek King. Long-time New York Islander, scored 40 goals for the Islanders back in the kind of early 90s. Um, came to Toronto. He, I played with him every, virtually every day my second year. And he was so good for me, not because he was a good player, which he is. Currently, I think he coaches uh, in the American League, um, Chicago's farm team. Uh, but he, but he, he, he offered me such great guidance on kind of how to approach being a pro. I'd gotten through my rookie year. I had a good year. I, I led all rookies in scoring, but, you know, still wound tight and very stressed out about my career and, and kind of just dealing with the day-to-day ebbs and flows of playing. And Kinger, with his kind of quick wit and his, and his smile, but also seriousness, kind of just helped ground me into a professional. Before that, I was a kid going 1,000 miles an hour trying to, like, figure out what it's like to be a, a pro hockey player. And, you know, there's no sit-down speeches. It's just being around them every day on the ice, at meals, on the planes, and, and just kind of little anecdotal stories or words here or there. I thought, and he wouldn't even know it. I wouldn't even tell him because I don't want to give him the satisfaction of knowing he helped me <laughs> because then he'd have it over to me. Um, but Kinger was, was, was that guy, that kind of stage veteran that you could, you know, w- was instrumental without him probably even trying. And, and he was. Um, so there was him. The other guy to me 
I played with him for about three years in Arizona. His name was Ladislav Nagy. Yeah, yeah. And he was part of the trade for Big Walt. He came down from St. Louis with Michael Hanzus um, to Arizona shortly after I got there. And this guy was supremely talented. I was lucky to play with him for a couple of years. And I think I, he helped me because not, not nothing off the ice that we had a, you know, a, 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 a unique broken English relationship as he was from Slovakia <laughs> and I don't speak Slovakian and his English, I would joke with him. He could barely speak English despite speaking it quite well. Um, but he was so good and he meshed well with me and that his game, the goal scoring that he had, the individual game that he could create really complimented me because I was a good passer. I was a good defensive player. I was a guy who probably needed help individually to break down defenses and he had that and, and he loved playing with me. And, and that was awesome, like a player that good that loved play with me. For about two or three years there, if you look at his stats, he was basically a point-of-game player Yeah. in an era where there was only 20, 20 guys to get a point-of-game. Now, unfortunately for him, he only played 50 games or 58 games because he had knee surgery, he had wrist surgery, but he was an awesome player, just kind of overrun by injuries at, towards the end of his career. But um, I would say, you know, he helped me. He helped me financially get my best contract he helped me kind of grow as a player and get confident and, and believe in, in what i could do even though he appeared five six years in my career so yeah kinger and laddie Dottie were the two that uh that stand out to me man you are throwing out some names here that are taking me back because it's like you mentioned it with the foley a lot of these like playing on the west coast like that out here you just you forget about these guys it's so hard to stay up late and catch them you don't appreciate them in the prime even how good they are and how, how good they were mm-hmm. hey mike this is uh, Pat McPhee. I just want to let you know, big fan of yours, my brother. Thank you, bud. Uh, you too. Love your stuff. Love it. Hey, pal, you're a beaut up there, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to sound Canadian? Because listen, I get in trouble for talking to Canadians sometimes on these American uh, networks. I gotta, I gotta say, my my kids are in the what uh, grade eight, not or in the eighth grade, and not grade eight, or whatever the right way to say it is. I can't say eight too many times, and I can't keep saying I'm sorry. Well, listen, you should never be sorry about the way that you speak about grade 8, 9, 10, or even the grade of life, but I think you should tell them to go fuck themselves, Mike, and you talk how you want to talk. Now, I have a question for you. Um, I'm not normally on Hockey Talk. I heard Geron was excited to get in here and chat with you. This is my top three greatest hockey players of all time, and I would like to know why I'm right and uh, why you agree with me. Number one, Mario Lemieux. Number two, Sidney Crosby. Number three, Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) Are you from Pittsburgh? Yeah, I have a Yinzer accent too that the networks have tried to change by fucking telling them to get out of town. <laughs> um, okay, so you're wrong on greatest ever, but I will say that it, I will say you were right on most talented ever. And I think Gretz would even tell you. I loved Gretz growing up. He was my coach, Pat, in Arizona for a while when he came out of off the out of the press box and down and coached me one year. Oh, but yeah. Mario could do no wrong. He was physically so dominant. He didn't look like he was trying because he was going faster than everyone, but just the long legs, the graceful strides, but he had the power and the shot that Gretz could not match. Now, Gretz could pass the puck better than anyone. He played on those Oilers teams that were ridiculous. But Mario could beat you one-on-one better than anyone, I think, ever who have played the game. Uh, so I'll give you that one uh, as far as most talented. Gretz is the greatest player. We know that, right? I mean, he's won the most. He put up the biggest numbers. Uh, he played the game and revolutionized it. The reason you guys were even having me on here. It's because Gretz went down and played in L.A. and decided to have the game grow in, in the United States. So, um, And Sid, amazingly enough, is 
seems to me like I don't have great historical perspective because I'm, you know, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, but it seems like there's kind of a consensus top four, and that is Gret, Mario, Gordy Howe, and Bobby Orr. And then I think the real discussion is who's number five. And it could be Jean Bellabeau from the you know 50s and 60s with the Montreal Canadiens. But I think Sid's in that conversation for what he's done, uh, the Cups he's won, international performance, and doing it at a time when it was way harder to score than a lot of the times of the guys who came before him. So I'll give you, I'll concede maybe top five, but you're going to have to slow down just a little bit on top three, despite your Pittsburgh impartiality. Well, I mean, I'm fair and balanced. I'm a, a non-biased journalist, obviously. Oh, you're a journalist. I know, I know. <laughs> but um, I, I respect your top five there. You know what was kind of a weird day for me was the other day. We were talking about Ovechkin, and all these conversations mm-hmm. came up about the goal scored and all this stuff. And I had to ask the question because I was taught to not like Ovechkin because we had Geno, we had Sydney, they had obviously OV. There was a little bit of a rivalry there, not only personally, but also the teams for a little while. We, we would always win until very recent here. And then when he wins the Stanley Cup and he goes on that incredible binge run of partying all over the place, mm-hmm. I fell in love with the guy. I think most of the world did. And then now with all the goal scoring, I think he's in that conversation as well, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, he's in the conversation for greatest goal scorer. Not for greatest player. Uh, I, I don't think he makes the guys around him good enough uh, like the other guys do, but greatest goal scorer for sure. I mean, he's uh, just, what, around 200 goals away from grad. And for him, that's, that's four seasons the way he's rolling. Even in his mid-30s, he's still getting 50 a, a, a year. What I liked about him winning Pat, is that in the hockey world, there was that narrative that you couldn't win with Ovi because he was too selfish or too into goal scoring or too Russian or whatever it might be. Because he was too unlike Sid. The two of them came together. Sid was the golden boy, and Ovi was the guy who couldn't get it done. And around the NHL, you knew that was a garbage narrative. Like It was just an easy thing to cling to because he hadn't done it yet. And he played for Russia, which is not Canada internationally, and you don't win if you don't play for Canada internationally. He was up against Sid, and they weren't as good, and they, didn't, they had not won yet. But that wasn't because he can't win. It's just because they had not won. And that was the best part about him winning to me was to just have everyone have to swallow that storyline, which was never really accurate to begin with, and park it. And then Ovi um, getting to celebrate his own successes like the champ that he is. I mean, Washington put on a clinic when it comes to how to celebrate a championship. I think every team and every sport that follows now will try to be living up to what they did. But um, Ovi's not the greatest player. But I think given when you start talking about era-adjusted goals per game, save percentages, and all those different metrics to try to compare the 80s to the to 2000s and 2010s, you can make a pretty easy argument that Alex Ovechkin is the best goal scorer to ever play hockey. St. Louis Blues gave it a good run there with the Cup there. Hey, hey Stanley, hey, having a good time there on the town there? Hey, hey Mike, <laughs> appreciate you, brother. All right, buddy. Keep doing your thing. We'll talk to him. Hey, you too. Don't ever lose that accent. I mean, maybe grade eight <laughs> sounds dumb, but like, don't say anything else, you know? <sighs> well, grade eight's for the second time you go through it. It's eighth grade when you only go through it once. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, that answer you just gave about Ovechkin is exactly why I say you are the best analyst on the network. It's just brutal honesty, because a lot of people wouldn't say that. They'd go out and say, yeah, he is, and they'd give the cliche answer. Yeah, you can lump him in there, but I mean, you broke it down beautifully as to why, why the conversation goes the way it does. Yeah, well, you know what? I've, I've been on that soapbox for a couple of years, so I was happy to, to be proven. Uh, I was always correct about it, but just kind of the, <laughs> the, the, the evidence mounting up to support my argument anyways. 
All right, last question here, and I'll let you go. I, I have to ask, if you could change one thing about the NHL right now, what would it be? Oh, goodness me. Good question. Okay, I'll go easy one because I think it's doable. I would extend overtime to 10 minutes, and I would forego the shootout anymore. Shootout was great coming out of the lockout in 04. It gave the fans something to think about, gave the highlight reel something to show. Players loved it. There was some drama. There were some exciting moments. But we've seen it all before, and I think three-on-three hockey is more exciting than the shootout. From what I understand, the math I've done, um, about 60% of games end in the first five minutes. So if you took 60% of the remaining 40%, now you're talking about 24% of that. Quick math, my eighth-grade math, 85% (laughs) of games would end in 10 minutes of three-on-three. Almost every game would end if we went 10 minutes, and then you could have three points for winning in regulation, two points for... Um, losing in overtime, one or winning in overtime, one point for losing overtime, and zero for for losing games entirely, and bring back ties, one point for a tie. That's how I would do it if I uh, could change something quickly to offer a full ten minute end to end action, best players making the best plays in a game like situation to end regular season games. I'd do that. I love it. I'm no mathematist, and I, I, I think I lost half of what you said there because I, I just blacked <laughs> out my head. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I think everyone's out on the shootout. I think it's finally time uh, we can move past it, which is play the three-on-three OT. It's more exciting anyways. The speed's incredible. You still get the full hockey experience in that regard. I love it. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, everyone, please go follow along with Mike at Mike underscore P underscore Johnson on Twitter and check him out on the NHL Network. Mike, thank you so much. My, my, my plain Jane name is tough to find a Twitter handle. You know what I'm going to do? A lot of underscores mixed in there. That's what happens my parents lack creativity. Me and my sister Jennifer blame them both for not being very creative <laughs> in the 70s. So appreciate that. We'll, we'll talk again. Thanks, man. Thanks again to Mike Johnson for joining us. AQ, unfortunately, could not join us because of the travel situation. He's got his young one with him. Hey, hey, hey look at you. Hashtag uh, girl dad. Yeah, I mean, it's... Obviously, I don't want to keep getting into this because every time I do, I get a little, little choked up. I mean, this this Kobe thing really, really, uh, you know, hit the hit this world hard this week. And you know, obviously, getting this girl dad hashtag rolling and seeing all the things. You know, obviously, family meant the world to him. And obviously, he had four girls, so um, it's pretty cool to see this whole hashtag, you know, blowing up the way it has. You said it, man. It's good to see. And uh, props to you for being being the man in that family and taking care of your little girl. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. As always, follow us along on Twitter at That's Hockey Talk. And uh, we got another interview coming next week with Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. We're going to talk about some analytics. Uh, AQ, I expect you to fully give him uh, the brunt of your force here. I know how you feel about this subject. So <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be a nice little intro to analytics for those uh, who may be new to the sport or – uh, new to the whole game because I don't fully understand it myself. I know we should be using some of them. I don't know if we should use them all the time, but uh, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about it myself. So look forward to that next week. Thanks again to Mike Johnson for, for joining us today. Give him a follow at Mike underscore P underscore Johnson. And that's Hockey Talk.